you would remain standing for our reading of God's Word this morning, you turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 11 through 21. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. This is the Word of the Lord. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Amen. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray. Most gracious God and Father in heaven, pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we have been marching through the book of Galatians over the last several weeks, and we have come to uh, the middle of chapter 2, and Paul in the last several verses has been giving us his autobiography. We just looked at the beginning of Paul's life, his rise in Judaism as he was becoming a Pharisee and excelling beyond his peers. We learned about his conversion on the road to Damascus. And then last week, Paul skipped ahead quite a few years and described a meeting that he had with Peter, James, and John, these pillars in Jerusalem. And the apostles emerged from that meeting united in the freedom of the gospel. And now Paul goes on to describe a rather contentious meeting that he has with Peter in the city of Antioch. Now, Antioch 
uh, is very different than Jerusalem. Jerusalem was mainly a Jewish city. Antioch is a mainly Gentile city. Antioch was Paul's turf. It was uh, a blended church. It had both Jews and Gentile believers. And in this context, Peter struggles. He gets a little flustered. He gets a little tripped up here in his Christian walk. At first, Peter had no problem. He had no problem eating with Gentile believers. He enjoyed their fellowship. But then a delegation of Jews from James in Jerusalem rolls into town and Peter starts to backpedal a little bit. He refuses to eat with the Gentiles because he is afraid of what these Jews might think of him. And it's not only Peter who is doing this. Other Jews are doing the same thing and even the great Barnabas uh, is led astray. Uh, and Barnabas, as you remember, is one of Paul's closest companions. He, he went with him on missionary journeys, and uh, he was led astray as well in this time. When Paul finds out about what is going on, he publicly confronts Peter on it. And I smile, I laugh about this, because wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall during this confrontation? Uh, two great giants of, of the Christian faith, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, kind of going at it, this cage match between one another. Uh, it's almost, it's this awkward situation that kind of makes you want to cringe. You, you know what's going to happen and you just want to look away. Um, but Paul calls Peter out in front of everybody because what Peter was doing was public. He was leading others astray, and so Peter needed to be confronted in public as well. But Paul's speech here to Peter is interesting. He dwells less on Peter's actions, and what he really focuses on is Peter's belief behind those actions, his, his theology that is driving his actions, what he is doing. And for the first time in this letter to the Galatians, we have it. Paul mentions justification by faith, this great doctrine of the church. You see, Peter's real problem was not necessarily that he was refusing to eat with the Gentiles. Uh, that was a symptom of what was greater that was going on. He was acting hypocritically, saying that he believed in the justification of sinners by faith, but then he was living in a way that promoted legalism in a way that promoted a works righteousness. As Paul puts it, he was not living in step with the truth of the gospel. So let's take a few moments to look at this justification by faith this morning. Uh, this is a very important doctrine in the church. Um, our shorter catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 33, deals with justification. It lays out a definition for us. It says, what is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to us and received by faith alone. So let's divide this up and see if we can't understand what this catechism is saying here. 
So it is an act of God's free grace. It is an act of God. Therefore, it is from God, not from us. It's of God's free grace. Therefore, it's not something that we earn. It is something that is given to us. And God does two things. He pardons our sins. He wipes them out. As I was riding over here, I was listening to uh, the Christian radio station. um, And one of the songs that they played was by Casting Crowns. uh, I think it's called East uh, is from the West or something like that. Um, What Jesus does is by his death and his resurrection, he has removed our sins from us as far as the East is from the West. Our sins have been pardoned. Not only that, but God accepts us as righteous in his sight. We're going to be dwelling a lot on that this morning, that God accepts us as righteous. But how does this happen? Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. Now, imputed is not a word that we use typically. Uh, It's not uh, one that we use in everyday language. But basically what it means is that his righteousness becomes our righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is given to us. It becomes ours. And we receive this not because of what we do, but simply through faith alone. You see, justification refers to our legal standing before God. We all know that God is a righteous judge. We stand before God condemned because of the fact that we are sinners. God holds out the law before us. He holds out his standard and we fall short because of our sin. We have constantly broken God's law. That is why every single week we have a prayer of confession and we will never stop doing that because we consistently sin. We rightfully stand condemned before God. We are guilty. But the beauty of the gospel is that God changes our legal status from guilty to innocent. He changes our status from condemned to righteous. Romans 8 verse 1, we quoted this last week as well. Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God takes a record and he replaces it with Christ's record. Not only does he accept Christ's record on our behalf, but he also accepts Christ's punishment on our behalf. Because of our sin, we deserve death. But instead, we receive life. God accepts Christ's death on our behalf. This is incredible. So instead of receiving what our sins deserve, through justification, by faith, in Christ, we receive exactly the opposite. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us. We are given His righteousness. And when we put our faith and our trust in Christ, this great exchange occurs. These filthy rags of our own righteousness, our own righteous deeds uh, are removed, and we are clothed in the beautiful garments of Christ. 
and his righteousness. In reality, through justification, what happens is we become acceptable before God. Because we have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ, we now have fellowship with God. He accepts us into his fellowship. We are accepted by him, not because we are so good on our own. We're accepted by God because he has justified us through Christ's death on the cross. Now, as you may know, I spent the last five years of my life uh, in the Augusta area, Augusta, Georgia. And Augusta is most famously known for its golf course, the Augusta National. Uh, There was one time in five years that I was able to actually get onto the golf course there. I was able to go to a practice round on a Monday uh, several years ago. And I don't know if anyone has ever been to the Augusta National, but when you walk onto those grounds, it is like you have stepped into a different world. It is, um, I would describe it as the closest thing to heaven on earth as you could possibly get. Um, It is like when you walk out onto that grass, you are like walking on a carpet. There is not a weed in sight. All the azaleas there are perfectly in bloom no matter what the weather is like. Uh, There is not a blade of grass that is out of place. It is incredible. But as you know, the Augusta National is extremely exclusive. Uh, Only recently, uh, they allowed, uh, first allowed women to become members there. You either have to be invited to play there by one of the members, or you have to win the Masters Golf Tournament in order to play there. Uh, To signify membership in this very exclusive club, you receive the coveted green jacket, which is uh, one of the most prized trophies in all of sports. And once you receive that green jacket, you're in. You're a part of the group. But if you're not a member of the Augusta National, if you don't have one of those green jackets, I'm sorry. You can't even drive by and look at at the course. They have these trees that form this barrier that it is impossible uh, to see in. So to be accepted to the Augusta National, you have to earn the green jacket. But this is not how it works with God. Instead of our earning our acceptance before God, he gives it to us through his grace when we place our faith and our trust in Christ. Remember, this is not our doing. It is an act of God's free grace through Jesus Christ. Not by works of the law, as Peter says here, uh, excuse me, as Paul says here in verse 16. It's only made possible through Christ's death and through his resurrection. If it was possible for us to accomplish our own justification, then as Paul says in verse 21, Christ died for no purpose. If it was possible for us to gain acceptance before God, why would Jesus come? Why would he humble himself? And why would he die on the cross if it was possible for us to do it on our own? It makes no sense. So the question is, what does this doctrine of justification by faith, what does this have to do with Peter not eating with Gentiles? You see, justification by faith is at the heart of the gospel. 
And Paul called Peter out on the carpet when he saw that his conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. You see, Peter's issue was that he was saying one thing and doing another. He was saying that he believed this gospel of justification by faith that we are accepted by, before God because, because of our faith in Christ. But he wasn't actually living according to it. He was being a total hypocrite. And Paul had no problem calling him out on it. You see, the funny thing about Peter is that he knew that Gentiles were accepted before God. He knew this. Uh, God had given Peter a vision that we read about in the book of Acts. And this happened three times. And you remember the vision. P- Peter sees this sheet that comes down out of heaven. And on it are clean and unclean animals. And they're lowered in front of Peter. And he hears a voice from God saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But he refuses. Because according to Jewish law, he was not supposed to eat some of those unclean animals. But then God tells Peter not to call things that God has made unclean. What God is doing and what God is telling Peter is that all people are acceptable before God. The good news of Jesus isn't exclusively for the Jews. It isn't for those who are only circumcised. It is for all people. Peter now knew that anyone from any nationality could be acceptable before God, but he wasn't living that way when he refused to eat with the Gentiles. So he was preaching a gospel that declared that all people are acceptable before God. But with his actions, he he was displaying that Gentiles are inferior and that in order to be truly accepted by God, you had to be Jewish and follow Jewish customs and Jewish laws. What a hypocrite. So when Paul saw this, he called Peter out on what was really going on. He said, Peter, you have forgotten the gospel and you are not living in step with the truth of the gospel. Instead, what he was promoting is a gospel of legalism. He's promoting this works righteousness. His actions were declaring that faith in Christ isn't enough for you to be acceptable. What is enough is that you have to do things. You have to be circumcised. You have to be Jewish. You need more than Christ, is what he was saying. And he had forgotten something that one of my seminary professors had taught me, and I'll never forget it, is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That we are all sinners, and we are all accepted by God through faith in Christ. You see, such a simple act by Peter had grave consequences uh, in the church in Antioch. By his actions, he was leading many people astray, even someone on the level of Barnabas. And on top of that, he was fortifying the racial prejudices that, that these Jews had towards Gentiles. He was alienating the Gentiles, treating them like second class citizens in the kingdom of God. And we all know that there are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. We are all sons and daughters of the king. So what he was doing, he was distorting this gospel. He was preaching grace, but he was, he was displaying works righteousness. What Peter was preaching was, do what I say, but don't do what I do. And you don't have to be a parent to know that that simply does not work 
You can't tell your kids, no, you can't have a cookie while you have crumbs on your face. That does not work. You have to practice what you preach. You have to walk your talk. But our problem is, is that we act in hypocrisy much like Peter did. In fact, hypocrisy is one of the greatest struggles, I believe, that Christians have. Like Peter, we say that we believe in justification by faith in Christ, but we don't always live it out. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John is given this great vision of, of the end, of what the kingdom of God will be like um, at the end of time. And in verses 9 through 12 of chapter 7, he describes a great multitude that he sees in heaven. And he describes the kingdom of God as, as this. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We see this vision of what the kingdom of God is like. And in the end, God's kingdom will include people from all tribes, from all peoples, from all languages, from all races, from every gender, from ethnicity, from every economic class, from every political party. But what does our church reflect On a Sunday morning. This was difficult for me as I was preparing this this week. Uh, It has been suggested that Sunday morning is one of the most segregated times uh, during the week. And it's not just racial segregation, but economically, ethnically, politically, churches are, and I know I'm painting with a very, very broad brushstroke here. Um, And generally, churches are fairly homogenous. PCA churches uh, in particular. Uh, This is our struggle. Uh, And I know that there are perfectly valid reasons for this. Worship styles, theological leanings, uh, location, uh, various things. Uh, But are these the only reasons? Um, Are these valid reasons we need to ask ourselves? Um, It's natural for us to feel maybe awkward or uncomfortable around people that are different from ourselves. But do we have an, ex- an issue with accepting other believers who are not like us, who don't think the same way that we do? Does the church suffer from a- an elitist mentality that Peter struggled with here? Have we forgotten that the ground is level at the foot of the cross? Now, we may be polite and possibly tolerate others But do we truly accept others as brothers and sisters in Christ?
Peter tolerated the Gentiles. It was okay for them to be around. But he refused to eat with them. Do we do the same thing by only entering into real relationships with people who are only like us? Who only meet our standards? Often we put our own personal and cultural or denominational preferences above the gospel. We alienate others by telling them, by the way that we act, that they have to become like us in order to be accepted by us. And oftentimes we forget that the gospel tells us that we are all unclean without Christ. But we are all accepted through faith in Christ. I think one of the issues that the church is really struggling with as a whole right now is the issue of homosexuality. Gay marriage has been a lot uh, in the news a lot recently. And the church is often painted in a very negative way. Uh, very intolerant. Uh, we, we would agree that the Bible clearly teaches that homosexuality is a sin. We will not budge on that. That is God's truth. But the church, by her actions, has been painted as, as homophobic, as intolerant. We obviously won't be a place where we willingly accept sin. But can we be a place where we accept those who are struggling with something like homosexuality? Can we accept them as fellow sinners who are in need of God's grace? Can we see that our sins may be different, but we, like Others stand in judgment before God as well, except for the blood of Christ that covers our sins. Instead, our hypocrisy in the church often drives people away. You see, this is one of the grave consequences of this sin that we see today. Uh, In the 90s, uh, one of the great Christian bands uh, was DC Talk. They came out with a song that began with this quote, said, one of the greatest single causes, I want to make sure I get this right, one of the single greatest causes of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and yet walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. By the way that we're living our lives or by the way that we are doing church, uh, are we driving people away just like Peter was doing in the church at Antioch? By not living out the truths of the gospel, are we preventing people from flocking to the church because they feel loved and accepted, not turning a blind eye to sin? Are we solidifying our reputation of being very narrow-minded, intolerant, judgmental, when in reality Christians should be seen in the opposite light? I am not afraid of being called intolerant when it comes to the gospel. By saying that um, you can't be justified before the Father except through faith in Christ. If I say that and someone calls me intolerant, I'm okay. But we are all sinners. We are all saved by grace. And the only way that we are acceptable to God is simply through faith in Jesus. Like Paul confronted Peter, we need to be confronted with the gospel and by the implications of our justification before God. You see, because we have been accepted by God through faith in Christ, we joyfully and freely live our lives for him. 
one of the greatest verses. Um, they're all great. But uh, one, of, one of the very profound verses in Galatians is chapter 2, verse 20. Where Paul writes, Now I have been crucified with Christ. It is, I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. These are profound and meaningful verses. They display the radical nature of the gospel, the radical love that Christ has for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And because we have been justified by faith in Christ, our lives are no longer our own. Our desires change. Our own personal desires no longer drive us. Instead, the desires of Christ drive us. We are no longer on the throne of our hearts. Instead, Christ is on the throne. You see what it should have looked like in Antioch when Peter was there? Is Peter should have rested in his acceptance before God through faith in Christ. And I know that hindsight is 2020. It's really easy to pick on Peter because of his passion. He's always getting himself into trouble. Um, but he should not have cared about his reputation because he was loved and he was accepted by God. He should have continued to eat with uh, all believers and he should have encouraged the other Jews who are with them uh, to do the same. And why? Simply because all believers are sinners saved by grace and accepted by God. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. It doesn't matter if you are Jewish or not. What simply matters is that you put your faith and trust in Christ. So what then should it look like in our own lives? We should also rest and trust in our acceptance before God through faith in Christ. We should believe the message of the gospel, this description of the gospel that we've been using through Galatians, that we are more wicked than we ever dared to believe. We need to believe that. We also need to believe that we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we could ever possibly imagine. That we could ever dare to hope. We need to truly believe that God accepts us in Christ. That when we put our faith and our trust in Christ... God looks at us like he looks at his son. We should rejoice in our justification by faith in Christ. Because legally you stand before God not condemned. Instead, you stand before God righteous. He declares you not guilty of the things that you have done. Not because of the good uh, that, that you think you do in your life, but simply by the blood of Christ. So because we are loved and accepted by God, we need to live out the implications of this, our justification. Because as a result of our justification, our lives are crucified with Christ. We are united with Him. He now lives in us and He rules and reigns.
And like John the Baptist says in John 3, verse 30, He must increase and we must decrease. Christ must become greater and we must become less. And as Christ becomes greater and greater, as Christ increases in our lives, the love of Christ is on display through us. And ultimately, God, our great God, is glorified. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for the truths of your gospel. That because what, of, what Christ has done for us through his life and his death and his resurrection, through faith in him, we are justified before you. That when you look at us, you declare us not guilty. Instead of being condemned, you see us as righteous. Father, I pray that we would be able to live our lives in light of this truth, that it would take root in our lives, that we would truly believe that is how you view us, that we are loved and accepted by you. Father, I pray that that would pour out into our lives, that we would love and accept those around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, I pray that you would use us to share your gospel with those who do not yet know you. That through us, your gospel would go forth and that your kingdom would reach to the ends of the earth. And that we would see uh, even but a foretaste of the kingdom of God with people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Lord, we long to see that even now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.